This is Marketing Today from Melbourne, Australia, your number one podcast for news and commentary on some of today's top marketing stories. Now, here's your host, Peter Wagstaff. Welcome back to Marketing Today, episode 87 for Tuesday the 3rd of March 2009. Thanks for joining us. It's Wags here. This week, having a chat with Cole on the couch. We'll also have an oyster report. But first up, let's have a look at what's news in marketing. In marketing news this week, uh, firstly, it's just been reported today that Naked Communications in Sydney I remember that's the organisation that was involved in the witchery jacket controversy and uh, Matt Baxter left there fairly suddenly a couple of weeks back. Well, they've just appointed a new managing director in Sydney, a guy by the name of Ian Perrin. Interesting to see what he can do with uh, Naked Communications, uh, particularly at the moment. Now, there's been a report from one of our uh, one of our bloggers, um, Zach Martin. He's uh, blogged recently that Twitter is reaching tipping point. And uh, Zach, I couldn't agree more. Um, Twitter's gone through some amazing publicity in the last probably three or four days. Thousands of new people joining as a result. It was uh, mentioned on Rove a number of times on Sunday night. Uh, this morning on 3AW, um, the breakfast show, they spoke about it. It's been all the major dailies. And in fact, even the um, Herald Sun newspaper here in Melbourne is currently including twi- Twitter searches um, as their form of current breaking news. So it's some incredible stuff happening with Twitter. Um, yet to see how marketers are going to use it, though, and whether it's going to reach the mainstream in terms of marketing communications. Time will tell. Now, uh, there's been a, a number of un, uh, number of user-generated content ads appearing uh, recently. Uh, remember the Samboy campaign? Well, currently there's a couple of others occurring. Um, Doritos have got a competition running at the moment to create your own ad. And I noticed on TV just the other night, Subway are also doing the same thing. So we're seeing a lot of uh, these competitions appearing, um, obviously trying to cash in on the success of Samboy and others that have actually worked quite well. Interesting to see how much further that goes. Now, reported uh, today in Mumbrella, um, they've noticed that a uh, very clever use of Twitter, Skittles, uh, which is a, a product marketed by Mars, have diverted their Skittles.com URL to a Twitter search for the word Skittles. And as a result, if you happen to mention Skittles in uh, in any of your tweets, Twitter postings, then your posting will appear on the main Skittles website. So as a result of that, Skittles is now being tweeted by so many people, just that word, an amazing uh, campaign, which is getting that word Skittles out and raising awareness of the Skittles brand incredibly. So well done, Skittles, very creative stuff. And the final piece of news um, this week is Coles Supermarkets. It's just been announced today that they are changing their trading terms. In fact, they're putting the pressure on their suppliers and they're asking their suppliers to increase the rebates, that is the amount that they pay back to Coles, um, from around 15% up to closer to 20%. Now, in the past, higher rebates have normally meant better shelf position or higher profiles in some of the retailers' advertising, uh, promotional activities. But uh, I wonder whether Coles will actually follow through and, uh, and give these suppliers more for their money. And if the suppliers choose not to pay the higher amount, it doesn't mean they'll still be supplying coals. It'll be fascinating to see. Only time will tell there. So that's it for marketing news this week. 
Let's now hear from Oyster. The Oyster Report. G'day listeners and welcome to another Oyster Report where I'm ready to take a look at some recent social media happenings and hand out a social media moron and champion award. A few podcasts ago, WAG, Zach Martin and I briefly discussed the potential for brands and even individuals to abuse Twitter uh, and spam their followers in order to receive short-term gain. Now, during the recent US elections, Barack Obama's use of social media quite clearly drove his fundraising efforts, uh, and a lot of people believe that his use of Twitter, Facebook, and and YouTube as channels to connect with his community proved that uh, he was part of the Web 2.0 generation. His Twitter account posted more than 250 tweets and boasted a little bit over 127,000 followers. Uh, his success since then has seen his subscribers swell to well over 330,000 including myself um, but now many followers particularly those who contributed funds to Obama's campaign must be left feeling just a little used you see since his inauguration he hasn't tweeted once nope not one little chirp and uh, even our own wags tweets more regularly these days than the president now I know Obama must be pretty busy with settling in fixing all that's wrong in the world and along with getting his kids a new dog this week but look it raises a question of whether Obama just used Twitter for his own short-term gain or not I suppose time will tell but if he leaves it too long in the re- in the lead-up to the next election before jumping back on Twitter then I personally believe that he's going to be in for a rude shock and he probably won't be able to leverage the medium like he did this time around look I kind of feel a little bold about handing this one out and a little nervous about getting a visit in the middle of the night from men in black suits and sunglasses but what the hell no tweets since getting what he wanted the presidency means that uh, Obama gets a social media moron of the week now onto the social media champion and it goes to a, a new social networking site called Livewire which is run by the Starlight Foundation This new social network is designed for young Australians living with serious illness, chronic health problems or or disabilities. There's over 450,000 young Australians who live with serious health issues and after having to miss things that I suppose most kids take for granted like going to school and playing sport and you know other social activities like hanging out with their, their friends, these sick young Australians are left feeling pretty isolated but now Livewire will help these guys to connect with others and share experiences and even entertain themselves with games and and other content and the site is run in a moderated environment where chat hosts are young and educated in adolescent health issues and most of them come from a teaching uh, and social network or social support background. Along with setting up the site, Livewire has gone to the extra effort uh, and has also installed wireless networks uh, to connect patients in hospitals, including those at Randwick, uh, Canberra and Westmead. So well done Livewire and the Starlight Foundation for helping to make the lives of seriously ill children just a little brighter. Now, before we finish, I need to give an honourable mention to an Aussie by the name of Nathan Bush who writes an excellent blog over at anotheradvertisingwanker.blogspot.com and tweets from the handle of Another Ad Wanker. The reason Nathan gets an honourable mention this week is uh, because he tweeted a couple of days ago that he challenged a client to write a brief in Twitter, uh, 140 
140 characters or less. Needless to say, they laughed. Gutsy move, Nathan. Nice try. I like your style. Okay, that wraps it up for another Oyster Report. Guys, remember to send me any nominations for social media morons or champions. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel Oyston or you can drop past my blog, theoysterproject.blogspot.com. I promise I'll give you a shout-out for your efforts. Catch you next time. It's Cole on the couch. Good to have you back on the couch, Cole. And it's great to be back, Wags. Thank you. Yeah, now, money. Money. Money, money, money. Money. <laughs> Let's love talk it, about love it, love it. important issue with, uh, with marketing and um, money and pricing is... Well, it, it's, the, it's the most important thing, I, I guess, for the 90% of marketing that's commercial marketing. 10%, uh, roughly, of marketing done in Australia is, uh, is, an, is not for profit. But even so, marketing is necessary to bring money into the organisation. Yeah. Whether you're, um, you know, you're drink-wise, hello, drink-wise, almost I think entirely staffed by Monash graduates or students. Certainly a lot of them there, yes. Yep. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, you know, anti-cancer council and so on. Um, of course, those organisations need to market as well. But more conventionally, you know, you've got marketing bringing in the dollars into the organisation, haven't you? Exactly. Now, um, today is the 3rd of March, and do you know anything about why the 3rd of the 3rd is important this year? Why is the 3rd of the 3rd? In the banking industry? No, Something today has is, is changed. The, Re the Reserve Bank has just changed the rules about bank interchange fees. I did see that. So now, oh, when you withdraw honesty money... Honesty comes to banking. <laughs> well, is it going to be honesty? We'll see. Well, what, what's happening, though? Yeah, this was absolutely outrageous. Thank you for reminding me about that. So for our listeners, uh, what's happened? As of today, um, banks are not allowed to charge you. Your own bank is not allowed to charge you if you use a different bank's ATM. But... But but the other bank is allowed to charge you that owns the ATM that you're using. Yeah. And they must fully disclose the amount they are charging you. Before they take it out of your account. Correct. So, which is why I say honesty comes to banking. Mm, because well, uh, up at, until least, now, at least at our level. How much have you... the, the, the CEOs have, um, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the CEOs, of course, are still trolleying it away. Now, how much have you been paying for a, an ATM withdrawal from an, a competing bank's um, automatic child machine? Do you know? Well, I don't. Because I'm I'm a boring old git, and I, I do supermarket shopping. I get cash out there. I, def, I, I but, think a lot but, of people are doing. But that. I, I do know that my kids, I mean, they they are, they are spending. If they're not careful, they're spending close to twenty percent of their pocket money on ATM fees, and mm. that's outrageous. Because you know the banks say, "Oh no, of course we don't charge kids to uh, do business with us." Nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> bloody disgrace the banks. I mean, they really are. So now, if you're in a shopping centre and there's a bank of ATMs yeah. from different yeah. different banks, yeah. I'm just wondering whether there'll be little signs above them saying we only charge one dollar to withdraw here we charge 50 cents is this going to or increase go, or competition or you, or you as yeah. as the reserve bank is is yeah. attempting to do yeah. or will it all remain quiet and and so on which will allow them to push prices up a lot higher well it'll actually be a good test of whether the market is competitive as the banks would have us believe mm. or if in my experience as a consumer of banking services, not in the least bit competitive, it's all a bit of a cartel. I look forward to hearing from the, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the bank lawyers. lawyers in due course, but I didn't mention the name of any bank. Uh, mm. But uh, we, I can actually, Wags, think of somebody who I respect less than the banks, and that's the airlines. Uh, yes, we've spoken about the airlines a bit recently. But then there's my favourite airline, Ryanair. These, now, these me, guys about, are brilliant. When it was about 12 months ago we were yeah. speaking about Ryanair. What's the name of the, the guy that runs Ryanair? Uh, Timothy, not Timothy O'Leary. Michael O'Leary. Michael, Michael O'Leary. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one who, who 
who just makes it, outlandish statements and, and says that customers are annoying and they need to shut up and sit down. And it, it, this is the guy who, quite rightly, he closed down his customer service call centre because all that was coming in was complaints. <laughs> he wasn't interested in complaints. He's a budget airline, right? He, he's, he's, he's not Qantas, trying to provide really good service. And, he's and, not even and failing. He's not even Jetstar. He's oh oh he, he's several levels below Jetstar. I mean, they, they use uh, they use airports that are further away from the city than Avalon is to Melbourne. Yes. Um, they, uh, they you don't get refunds if you don't turn up. You buy the ticket, you don't turn up. Not his problem. Yep. I mean, some, somebody rang him and said, "Oh look, I couldn't fly because my grandmother died." And he said, sorry, no refunds. What part of no refund don't you understand? You're not getting a refund, so <coughs> off. So I, so I saved, saved you the... I mean, so that, that's this guy. And that, that was broadcast everywhere. And, 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 the, news and, this and, week. and the silly journos thought that it would actually reduce his, uh, uh, reduce his sales, reduce his market share. In fact, it increased them because it gave him lots of free publicity. Yep. This must be a cheap airline. What are they doing now? Well, it's obviously a bit quiet there, and uh, and of course people are moving towards budget airlines anyway. Ryanair's now issued a press release saying we're thinking about charging passengers to use the toilet <laughs> on an aeroplane. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's some American airlines that are going to charge extra to hire a pillow, <laughs> and, and I mean extra for food and extra for drink has been uh, has been around for years. Using but now Ryanair, toilet, well, he says, well, he says nobody flies on a on an airline. They're just going to put a coin mechanism on the toilet door, like they have at some railway stations well, exactly that's exactly what he says like <laughs> like what you have on railway stations you have it on railway stations why shouldn't you have it on a plane it takes you from point a to point well, b what if you don't have cost? a coin on you well then you quickly put your foot in the door somebody else goes out i guess same <laughs> as you do on a train i remember being a kid <laughs> with a bursting bladder on a train station <laughs> you do exactly the same thing but the now, um, this is taking budget airlines a little bit too far and i just wonder whether this is genuine or whether he's just trying to get a bit of media coverage here i think it's probably a bit of both yeah. it's, a bit of both. it's great publicity we've we've talked about it people are talking about it all over the world and he might just get a few pounds out of it it's certainly it's, it's in a lot a, of newspapers at the moment it's in a lot of newspapers but there's a lot of airlines. I think US Air made an awful lot of money out of um, charging extra, I think, for seat allocation. Mm -hmm. Not not for a seat, obviously, no, but, but for, for, for your choice of seat. Yeah, yeah, choice, yeah. Your choice of seat. And, and for this hiring of pillows and things like that. Well, I guess um, it does reinforce that the message it sends out about them being a budget airline and all you're buying is the seat for the trip and everything extra. Yeah, you're buying is getting from point A to point B because it's a plane you um, you have to have a seat and a seat belt, mm. which is the difference between a train because with a train you don't pay any less with if you don't get a seat of course yeah um oh that's an interesting issue i think he's yeah. good on him he's reinforcing the uh, the budget aspect of his airline and even if he doesn't implement that even if it's just a bit of hot air that he's breathing out it yeah. uh, it certainly is is going to lift the the profile of ryanair yeah. as a result yeah yeah, yeah, indeed. Mm. And, uh, more about money? More about money? Let's hear, yeah, pricing and so on, absolutely. Um, now, we, yeah, we're talking about executive pay and incompetent bankers walking away with vast amounts of money, and of course, let's hear it for Sol, Sol Trujillo yes, uh, from Telstra, $11 million having actually, uh, as, as a payer, having... He's actually leaving Telstra with a lower share price than when he joined, and he's getting eleven million dollars as a thank you. Huge. For well, uh, yeah. Well, virtually yeah. every share price has dropped over the last few years, though. I yeah, mean, that's, I, a, that's a little unfair. A little unfair. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so my investments have dropped in value. How come he's still? Yeah. How come he's still getting paid eleven million dollars for it? Oh, look, there have been Sorry. some ridiculous um, senior mm. executive payouts lately, mm. Um, mm. and mind you. 
I can give you the name of one bloke who made more than two million dollars for two weeks work and it's not even work two million dollars for two weeks work yeah that's that's more than Sol gets yeah hey. that's the equivalent of 52 million dollars a year for work and it's not even real work so who gets that I mean surely those shareholders would be screaming I'll, uh, people certain people certainly were screaming. They were um, there were the people watching him play at the Australian Open. It wasn't real work. This is Rafael Nadal uh-huh. winning the Australian Open. He got two million dollars <laughs> for playing tennis for two weeks. That's not bad going, is it? And, and of course, the audience was screaming in, in joy and everything. And uh, Roger Federer you know, cried when he lost because he only made a million dollars for two weeks' work. I mean, geez, wouldn't well, you? Still, a million's not too bad. But, oh. uh, okay, you, well, you haven't made a million oh. in the last two weeks. No, I haven't. No, look, high-profile sports people. Yeah, I mean, this is this is quite common. This is mm. the sort of level that they get paid. But it's mm. only those that that reach the absolute top. Mm. All the others that didn't even make the quarterfinals probably just got a, a reasonable payment for their appearance. Oh, they, 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 they get paid quite nicely if you get if you get up to that level. That's yeah. right. but. Uh, You get a lot of money for, and of course, I mean, the the guy works very hard and he's very talented and everything else. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I don't find it all that entertaining. Um, Tennis is great. Tennis is great. I I, I actually find the women's tennis more interesting because I think there's less power in it and the the games are more interesting. Mm -hmm. Mind you, the games don't go as long either. I mean, if you remember that final. Oh, that one that finished really early. Oh, blink it, you'd miss it, yeah. Yeah, and, and you'd be really upset if you were paying to... Yeah. be at Centre Court that night and you finished at 8.30 yeah. compared to the night before where there are some high-profile players that went right through till 1.30 or 2 in the morning. Oh, and, and the rest, I think. Yeah. Value for money, and yeah. that's one of the challenges when you, you buy a ticket ahead of time not knowing who's playing. And uh, so what is it you're actually buying when you're buying a ticket to the Australian Open? Yeah, yeah. because cause you're not getting sort of dollars per hour. There's certainly no guarantee uh, yeah. either as to who you're going to be seeing. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I mean, I, I did wonder when, I, when we were talking about Connex, when we were un, unhappy with them, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps they should charge extra if your train's delayed, because, <laughs> because you get more use out of their seats. Hey, if <laughs> <laughs> I've, deci- I've decided that we're not the only ones that complain about Connex, aren't we? You've heard of Twitter, yeah? Oh, yeah, of course I have. Go to yeah. search.twitter.com yeah. and just type in the word Connex and have a look at what people are saying about Connex out there. It's well, unbelievable. Well, Twitter's ideal for that because oh. you know, the people sitting there on their Blackberries as they're waiting outside Richmond Station. Exactly. It's or for the unions to decide whether to move a train or not one day. It really, in fact, any of, our, any of our people out there uh, running a business, dealing with a, a big brand, mm-hmm. go to search.twitter.com, key in your brand name and have a look at what people are saying about it. Mm. And maybe even consider responding, joining the conversation as yeah. something worth considering. I don't think Connex could do that, though. However, I do know that, uh, you know, Zach Martin, uh, yeah. one of our students here, yeah. he had um, registered the Twitter name Connex Melbourne, which is the also the, the name they yeah. use as their URL. Um, Be- because there is another business in Australia called Connex, which that's they right. didn't think of when they came in here. So it's he, an earth-moving mob up in Queensland. Yeah. So he'd registered... Uh, at Connex Melbourne as a Twitter name, um, and just last week yeah. they've asked him for that uh, that name. Oh, so how much are they paying? Nothing, and he's handed it to them. Why? Oh, well, not sure. Interesting, <laughs> but oh, I could have at least given him a few free tickets. <laughs> I'd have thought. I mean, well, I mean, we, he, we, he, we was, about price he was today, effectively uh, Twitter squatting uh, when he registered mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, but does this mean that Connex is about to move into Twitter and start communicating with their, their customers that are screaming? Oh, I, yeah. are they that proactive or are they just afraid that he might be impersonating somebody from Connex and I put wonder, something rude up there? I wonder. It'll be interesting to see what they do. But look, it's a, 
to me, it's an insurmountable um, task to try and communicate with these thousands of screaming, unhappy customers on Twitter. And in, in, in many cases, uh, perhaps a little, no, you, you get very frustrated and disappointed when transport doesn't get you somewhere on time. Mm. So, yeah, and out of their control as well in many yeah. cases. And uh, yeah, perhaps not as, as rational as they mm. might be. Yeah. Now, speaking of things not working, yeah. um, Gmail. I thought Gmail was perfect, Wags. Well, Gmail is close to perfect, but uh, last week it went down for two and a half hours. And Google have apologised profusely for, for the inconvenience to all of their customers. Two and a half hours. It's, it's interesting. It's not long, really. Two and a half hours without email? Well, if you if you absolutely rely on it, I'd have difficulty mm. if, it during, uh, if I was working. Look, this is the first time in a long time that it's yeah. been down. Yeah, but I would have difficulty in keeping my normal work going for two, two and a half hours without email, I think. Isn't that frightening that I we're so dependent on it? Yeah, I might have to go and see someone. <laughs> <laughs> but what's, on the phone, I guess that's easy, what's interesting, though, mm. is that most people don't pay for Gmail. Most yeah, people yeah. pay nothing for Google services. In yeah. fact, no financial payment. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Google makes a lot of its revenue through yeah. advertising. Yeah. But... When there is an inconvenience like this, is there any compensation given to customers? Well, how can you? It's a free service. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a case of, uh, but they profusely apologised. Mm -hmm. But there are some customers that do pay for Google services. Yeah, small number, aren't they? Okay. Yeah. So they want extra storage space, or they use the premium applications, or those sorts of things. Yeah. What I love is what Google has done with those clients because of this two and a half hour downtime. They've extended their contract for an additional fifteen days. Now, that's a huge compensation that they're giving them. So much different to Connex, for example, where if for a month, if you were delayed every day for a month and you hold an annual ticket, they'll give you a one-day free ticket. Which is of no use to you because you've got an annual <laughs> ticket anyway. Yeah. So big thumbs up to Google for this compensation package. I think it's brilliant. Well, oh, you, well, you don't agree? Not necessarily, no. Why I'd not? sooner that we didn't have the outage in the first place. Of course, but that's out of their control. And seeing it but has yeah, happened... Sorry, it shouldn't be out of their control. Uh, Should it? Well, I wonder. I mean, are these these things... can? Is it possible for any service provider to guarantee 100% uptime? Certainly they don't promise to guarantee it. No. That's true. However, and it, we, however, we have the expectation, we as users, have the expectation that it will be up all the time, just as uh, train commuters in Melbourne expect that Connex, with a fleet of trains, uh, that if there were motor cars, would be, uh, would be wrecker material. Mm -hmm. So they're, what, 40 years old, some of them? Yes. Right? And the, uh, think of the amount of kilometres they cover. Uh, we get really cross if they're five or ten minutes late. Mm. Right? We jump up and down the So we build up those expectations, whether those expectations are, uh, are appropriate or not. I mean, they, we get the government ads saying they've got to be 95% on time or whatever. Gmail doesn't advertise that, but we just know because it's always there. I don't want an extra 15 days use of Gmail. I want them to, in fact, add sooner. They possibly even extracted a little more money. I, I wonder, though, should Google be communicating to clients that um, maybe they're not a 100% uptime organisation? It can be incredibly expensive yes. for any organisation to, yeah. to structure itself mm -hmm. to offer 100% uptime. 
Uh, well, it, it, it certainly can. It certainly can. In fact, there was a, there was a, a very boring economics blog that I was um, <laughs> that I, I looked at a, a couple of a couple of weeks ago. I shouldn't actually say very boring at all because it's it's run by our new dean. Oh, this is core economics. Core economics. Economics.com.au. Certainly it, worth looking at if you're interested. Yeah, in it, economics it, it, issues. it is actually, mm. and he was talking about just that. Hello, it, Stephen, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> G'day, boss. It's been nice working for you. It's not really that boring. Your posts aren't boring, boss. Um, <laughs> The uh, t talking about just that that, that they should uh, somebody some idiot that, that guy um, Andrew Bolt in the Herald Sun yes. was, was saying that they should build some more power stations to cope with huge power demand <laughs> when, when when it gets really hot, which of course is, it's an in insane idea. Mm. Uh, building new power stations, as he was pointing out, from an economics point of view, when you have an economics point of view, you don't build a power station just to cope with peak demand. Of course. Mm. Um, where economics falls down, my contribution to the debate was that uh, economics actually doesn't allow you to think as much as marketing does, because a marketer would say, well, you know, look at when it was that customers were needing the electricity, and the answer is they were needing the electricity when it gets really hot. Mm -hmm. So... So we just schedule the hot days for um, Sundays when we're using less electricity and other things? Well, either that or we encourage people <laughs> to use solar panels and thus generate maximum electricity when we're using the maximum electricity, and that's a marketing solution to the problem as opposed to the economists, mm. which is why marketing is better than the economics. It's been nice working with you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Talking about it's nice, work, nice working with you, lots of organisations are, are cutting jobs left, uh, left right and centre, uh, Pacific Brands and so on. In fact, Pacific Brands, interesting. You, you mentioned the other day mm -hmm. they weren't always called Pacific Brands. What did they used to be called? Oh. Pacific Manufacturing, wasn't it? Well, no, no, well, they're not called. They're, they're, <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely fair enough. Pacific Brands is called just that. It's not called Pacific Manufacturing Jocks and Socks in Australia. Exactly. Right? It's Pacific Brands. So why should they manufacture in Australia? Answer, they shouldn't, and they don't, because it's cheaper to make it in China. Well, they have been manufacturing in Australia, but yeah. not for any much longer. But yeah. it's going to be interesting to see here whether the consumer boycott that has been talked about is actually going to eventuate. Oh, we always talk about consumer boycotts and you know you know what happens? If, if we we'll forget about it pretty quickly. We we'll forget about it pretty quickly because it's 10% off at t Target or Kmart or somewhere and we go in and pick them up anyway. It's mm. like the, um, uh, I think when they, they, they tried it with petrol, one of the big petrol companies, they tried to boycott them. Yes. Um, they dropped their price by a centilitre below the competition and turned over much, much more. So money quality. speaks. And I think yeah. quality of product speaks as well. I mean, if, if it's a high quality product, at a reasonable price, yeah. wherever it's made, consumers don't really care. Yeah, it's, yeah, and and so. the whole Buy Australian campaign, gee, it's, it doesn't uh, really carry much weight these days, does well, it? Well, yeah, food, yeah, food miles and uh, whatever it is, <laughs> underwear miles. <laughs> <laughs> Under miles. Yeah, how far does it have to go to, uh, to get here? But mm. Woolworths is, um, is apparently creating 7,000 jobs. That's nice of them, isn't it? What nice people at Woolies. Woolworths, what, 7,000 jobs in their retail stores? 7,000 jobs in their retail stores. What, where are these jobs coming from? Oh, That's you nasty, cynical person. <laughs> no, this is nice woolies saying, well, people are losing jobs, so we'll create brand new jobs. Oh. You don't think so? You brand think new jobs? Well, I, are they opening that many new stores? Are they going to have more cash registers open? What's, what's the difference? 
Well, I can actually tell you that the that uh, people are spending a little bit more on groceries proportionately. Uh, a slightly higher proportion of household income is being spent on groceries now than it was this time last year. Because people aren't going out to restaurants as much as they used to. People are cooking at home when you go when you go out for dinner. Increasingly, you're going for dinner at a friend's place rather than at a restaurant. But that doesn't create seven thousand new, new new jobs, jobs. and not at Woolworths. So where so what? Why are they created these jobs? Well, I suspect they're picking up market share from either Coles, who are uh, dropping market share. And uh, dropping employees as well? And I don't think they've announced it yet, have they? But oh, no, they've, they've said 7,000 new jobs. But, but also the yeah, small traders, local grocers and, uh, and, and so on. Yes. Um, and I doubt if those 7,000 are all full-time jobs. Of course. Yeah, the, these are, yeah. A lot will be casual and part-time. Yeah, six yes. or ten hours a week school kids. Mm. So it, yeah. uh, it, 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 it all helps. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good on them. It's uh, an unusual one at this time. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was talking with, um, last week, Colin, a, um, a few people from one of our textbook publishing companies. Now, you've, you've actually had a history in this, um, mm. in this industry, haven't yep. you? Yep. And there was an article in the Australian newspaper last week about textbooks and... Doubting their future, doubting whether the traditional textbook, and I know a lot of our listeners are university students, um, that, that spend every semester in excess of $100 per subject they're studying on a textbook. Yeah. Now, this article in The Australian is doubting the future of the traditional textbook, yep. saying that it's going to go the way of, of many other things, including, um, and I actually likened it to other industries such as newspapers and yep. we, we've seen the newspapers really struggling at the moment yep. the uh, the age fairfax are, mm. uh, are suffering big time mm. um, um and what's your view on this um and there's so many so many new things coming out we saw amazon launch the kindle 2 recently that's really interesting isn't it and now we're going to see books moving into electronic form could certainly do. Look, it's quite some years since I started work in book publishing, and I remember there were, there were people racing around even then saying, oh, you know, computers mean the end of the book. Computers mean the end of the book. This is before the internet was invented. This is showing my age, isn't it? Um, oh, there's a, the book. No, oh, goodness me, yes, we shouldn't be in this business at all. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think, actually, anything much has changed since then. Yes, Kindle's around. That's handy. Mm -hmm. It's certainly easier, frankly, to negotiate, and I'm thinking, say, of the first-year textbook that, uh, that, that you have, uh, that you use, uh, where you get an electronic copy of the book as well as a hard copy, and it's a heck of a lot easier to search for a particular word electronically. You can't remember a particular topic. You go Control-F and you look at the... It's effectively mm -hmm. a PDF, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And it's so much easier than poking around an index and finding it's been poorly done and so on. You say that, but very few students actually use the online version of the book. They prefer to use the printed book. Because they've been brought up using books, because they've used books in primary and secondary school, mm. and also... I think you use books in a different way, in a different format. Mm. Sure, I mean, there's people listening to this podcast in cars, on trains, whatever, um, because you can. You can't read a book while you're driving a car. At least you shouldn't be. You can listen to a podcast when, when, when you're driving. Exactly. But a podcast is linear. You start yes. at the beginning, yeah. you listen to the end, yeah. and, and you really have no control over... Yeah. You can fast-forward, of course, but yeah. you don't know what you're fast-forwarding to. Yeah. Whereas a book, you have control over going to various parts of it. Uh, there's there, when you there's need a, to. a number of things that a book can do that the electronic thing can't. Mm. Um, it, you, know, you can use it when you haven't got a computer with you. Mm. 
course. It's lighter than the computer. Actually, it's not probably, but <laughs> anymore. Because the books are pretty big and computers are pretty light. But I don't actually see the death of the book. Uh, I see it being used differently mm. to the way it is at the moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, we spoke about food miles and undie miles before. Yeah, I mean, yeah. book miles are a big issue as well, because yes. if we look at the cost of labour, most textbooks these days yeah. are printed over in Southeast Asia somewhere. Oh, all of them. Yeah, exactly. And, and paper is one of the heaviest things to be yeah. um, shipping around the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, I'm sure, would contribute a large part of the $100 plus for each book. Um, if, if they were electronic, obviously the distribution is going to be a lot easier. Yes. And that would have to drive costs down. Mm -hmm. um, is that reduced cost going to then be passed on to the customer yeah. in terms of reduced sell price if we yeah. get to that point where textbooks become electronic wouldn't that be interesting i can tell you from well when i was when i was working in the industry back in my day paper print and binding mm -hmm. was was one sixth of the cost of a book only one sixth one sixth i bet it's a lot more now um, possibly not. Possibly not. Mm. Remember, yeah, that includes the retail margin and everything. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's it, okay. it's it's the cost to the consumer. Uh, shipping in that as well, or no? no so freight would be a large part now. It has um, to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, remember they they, they mostly come by ship. If, mm. we, if we have to fly books in, oh, that gets uh, expensive. Yeah, that gets expensive, and students will find that there's a ten or twenty dollar surcharge per mm. book yes. for air freight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing... So buy your books early, guys. This is the expert yeah. speaking. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next couple of years to see where this whole industry moves to. Mm -hmm. um, I'm convinced that uh, we're going to see many innovative solutions to this, and um, I'm convinced that there will be some, some good online or portable electronic solutions that will replace ink on paper. The book is certainly not the, uh, the be-all and end-all, which mm. it was 20, 30 years ago. Mm. Um, it, it's, a, it's becoming increasingly a supplement to the stuff that we do rather than guiding exactly what it is we do. Exactly. Now, while we're on books, yep. uh, on pricing of books, yep. uh, interesting in terms of price sensitivity. And yeah. books, and this article in The Australian actually liken books to uh, the pharmaceutical industry, yep. where when you go and see a doctor, the yep. doctor tells you which pharmaceuticals you need to fix your yep. problem. Yep. Um, and you've got no say in it. Yep. Well, generally, unless when you go to the pharmacy and they yeah. say, would you like a generic version of this, yeah. or do you want the one the doctor's yeah. prescribed? Textbooks are very similar. Yeah. In many cases, the lecturer is the one who prescribes the textbook mm -hmm. that students have to buy. Yep. Now, I mean, there's an interesting issue there. That's why we have doctorates. <laughs> yes. Ah. <laughs> interesting issue here in terms of... Um, are publishers recognising that yeah. and recognising that their customers are not particularly price sensitive? Hmm. Um, are their prices as keen as maybe they should be? Mm, usually not. Mm. Most yeah. lecturers probably don't uh, don't pay a lot of attention to the price mm -hmm. of the book. They look for other more important things like the content. In in my day, in my day, back in my day, there was some flexibility in pricing. If the lecturer said, "I'll prescribe you a book provided we can drop the price," mm. um, then they would. Yep. And, and and there are special Monash prices for some books. Mm. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Where where there is that flexibility. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a. Um, when I was in the game, I wasn't as polite as to call it pharmaceutical. It's like the, the arms industry. The arms industry? Yeah, the armaments. Yes. You know, guns and bullets and things, because the ultimate consumer has no choice in what he or she receives. The ultimate consumer? Who's the consumer? Well, the person who gets the bullet in the chest. Oh, well, sorry. Colin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Enjoy your textbooks, yeah. Yes. yeah. And I on, on the subject of, yeah, well, I guess be, being a little challenging. Mm hmm. Marketing. Insurance companies are having an interesting marketing issue at the moment. 
Well, certainly with the bushfires, there's, they've uh, been in the news a bit lately. Well, there's this whole, this whole wash-up from, uh, uh, from the bushfire disaster. I mean, there's a number of ways uh, to look at it, to, to look at the human response to it yes. as, as a marketer. Mm -hmm. One needs to see, oh, fantastic, tens of millions. It's over $100 million now, isn't it, I think? Yeah, well over $100 million has been raised by the Red Cross uh, yeah. for the bushfire appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an enormous amount of money. Mm. What are they going to spend it on? I've actually been thinking about this, and I, I really don't know. A hundred million dollars is a lot of money. It's now, obviously, yeah. short term, the people who have lost all their property and yeah. so on, they have an immediate need for well, they, they things such as clothing and food and, yeah, and they, 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 the necessities of yeah, life. They, 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 they need food, they need clothing, they need water for showering and drinking. And, 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 That's and, not a hundred million dollars worth, though. Yes, but that's also not dollars either. It's a question of logistics to get the stuff there mm. because there were also wonderful people who donated things like clothes. And, and the, bags the, of food. and ba ba yeah. Bags of food and the like, and that was getting trucked up there mm -hmm. um, with a very few exceptions. Uh, there, there, there's not so much need now for those uh, for those physical things. Well, the charities were um, yeah. just overrun with, um, yeah. with product and they had to say, stop, please yeah. don't send any more. We've yeah. got enough. Yeah. Well, the, the money is... There were whole warehouses. The money is what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay. So, where could this money possibly be going? Well, um, responsible homeowners and property owners insured their property, so, the so they won't need it. So the insurance and the insurance companies are jumping over themselves to uh, to pay out quickly and to be seen as being good because that, of course, is the way to boost their you know, well, their market share. I mean, yeah. you, you insure look after your customers. Yeah. Yep. The people who don't insure their houses. That's an interesting issue. About a quarter of all houses in Victoria are not insured. Ooh. About half the houses, just under half apparently, according to figures I've seen, the houses that were destroyed in the bushfire were not insured. Mm. And there were people bleating, oh, I couldn't afford the insurance. Which is and which, which which is a separate issue because I think that uh, in in many if not most cases you do have a choice. So are you suggesting? Wait 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 wait. Okay. The CFA, the Country Fire Authority, and the Metropolitan Fire Brigade, three quarters of their funding comes from a surcharge on insurance levies. Yes, where are they? So these people who chose not to insure their houses weren't even contributing to pay the costs of the equipment that the CFA firefighters were risking their lives to use. Mm. So it, it seems tough to say it, but the word bludger seems appropriate oh, to me. Oh, that's Sorry. Yeah, is it still too uh, soon to be saying that? Well... It's I mean, happened. It's certainly, it, 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 it's happened. Mm, so, people have a responsibility yeah. to insure, I guess, but so, should it be compulsory? Are you saying that insurance on on a on a home should be compulsory? Well, that's a marketing issue for the uh, for the insurance companies and the the insurance industry and for the government. And for the government, the insurance industry is uh, is certainly saying that insurance should be compulsory, as it is for cars. Mm -hmm. The reason that it's compulsory for cars, of course, is that if I have an accident with a car, likely as not, I'm having an accident involving somebody else's car, so I need to be okay, able to Okay, well, it. yeah, I mean, the, the compulsory, just yeah. to be clear on this, the yeah. compulsory, compulsory insurance with cars isn't insuring your car, it's insuring... Anything um, stupid you do with your car that damages somebody else's property, um, I, or damages some another person, not yeah. someone else's property, yeah. but um, other individuals. All right, well, I thought because it, it goes to yeah. TAC, for example. Yeah. All yeah. right, okay. so the yeah. Transport Accident Commission. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's certainly yeah. important that yeah. we, we look after people yeah. who are injured in road accidents. But yeah. Um, yeah, insurance, and this is a big issue, which I'm sure once um, the ash is gone from these fires, yeah. we'll um, we'll be seeing a lot more discussion on this. Well, indeed, and so we 
Where's the hundred million dollars going? It's not going to rebuild schools and so on because the government will be funding that. Yep. It's not going to be providing new electricity lines or putting them underground because the government will be doing that. It's not going to be providing new roads because the government's going to be doing that. It's not going to be rebuilding houses because the insurance companies will be doing that. So is it going to subsidise those bludgers who haven't even supported the CFA and the Metropolitan Fire Brigade? What else can you do with it? Well, if you've got any ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. But then, uh, but then you get people who have given money in good faith and have said, yeah, I want to give money to everybody who's suffered because of the terribleness of this disaster. Mm-hmm. And now there's something that's really interesting of, of human psychology. Certainly. If, if your house or my house burns down, a student of mine's house burnt down last year, mm-hmm. very sad, um, and yes, fellow students photocopied their notes. Um, the, the student was very short of cash anyway. It was a, it was a rental house. Um, we were able to find help out. Yeah, yeah. It, it helped help them out in uh, in uh, other ways as well. Mm-hmm. But in general, if your house burns down or my house burns down, that's my problem. Yeah. Because this was such an awful event, and uh, and so many um, people were killed, and so many people um, injured, and, and so on. Yes. This seems to go beyond insurance. Mm. So people say, no, I, I, I don't care if people are insured or not. So the human behavior then looks at this and says, this is so awful. Well, perhaps you don't need insurance. So perhaps you just hope that your ha- house gets burnt down in a, in a uh, major catastrophe. In a major catastrophe yeah. rather than just a little one. Because mm. you only insure for little catastrophes, not big ones. <laughs> oh, that's very controversial. Yeah, but what I do like is the psychology of people giving, and there's, there's we some need to do something. Yeah. We need to do something, and there's, there's some serious step. value exchange occurring there. People handing over money and goods yeah. and product and yeah. so on, goods in exchange for yeah. that warm feeling they get that they're helping others. Uh, and that, that, precisely, mm. precisely. And th- there's this need to be involved. I mean, these ghastly scenes appear on the television, and it, w- it was a problem for the emergency services. People were ringing up saying, "What can I do to help?" And mm. they were saying, "Look, sorry, we've actually got. You know, <laughs> we're trying to run an ambulance service." Here. Fire, fire brigade here. Yeah. Um, so the the human need there is something that and needs to be better understood. I think there's a, there's an opportunity for research and psychology and marketing to better understand that In as well as everything else. Yeah. And most not for profit marketing um, really is focusing on this value exchange that takes place. Yes, indeed. And in fact, they, uh, talking about that, there's an awful lot of not for profits that are suffering. Suffering at the moment, uh, and a lot of charities are suffering at the moment because everyone's giving their money to the Red Cross, Red Cross instead of other charities. Yeah. Yes, yeah. so it's being diverted. Yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting issue. Mm. Well, a lot of money, a lot of price, a lot of dollars we've spoken about today, but I think it's it's quite topical. Lots in the news, as there always is. So, look, thank you so much for your time today, Colin. Well, thank you, mm. thank you. It's been uh, it's been good fun. See you um, see you next week. Talk to you next week about money or something else. Great, chat then. See you. Bye. Bye. Before we go this week, some listener feedback. And I had a message this week from Warwick. Uh, thank you so much for your your email, Warwick. Um, now, one of the things he commented was, uh, remember last week in the news I spoke about the new um, three mobile phone that allows you to access Facebook and the like uh, when you're out and about. And they're promoting it as a good solution for uh, those whose companies block Facebook. Warwick commented that he thinks it's quite reasonable for companies to block Facebook because it means that um, it prevents employees from sending out large amounts of confidential information undetected. Um, Ever heard of a USB storage device, Warwick? I don't think blocking Facebook is actually going to prevent that. 
Um, but in further feedback, um, he also mentioned that uh, he disagrees partly with what Julian had to say in last week's interview, um, where Julian claimed that blogs are not news and therefore bloggers need not be held to the same standards as journalists. And uh, quite rightly, Warwick points out that many new media fans uh, advocate that what they're doing is replacing old media entirely. And as a result, he believes it's pretty scary that uh, those who aim to be the future of media won't hold themselves to the same standards as journalists. Well, yeah, partly agree with you, Warwick, but uh, some journalists, their standards are fairly low anyway, so I don't know if uh, we're going to be in any worse position. But uh, look, thank you so much for that feedback. We really do appreciate it and uh, keep it coming. Not only Warwick, but uh, anyone else who has any view on anything that we say on the Marketing Today podcast. Now, to take us out this week, of course, our music track of the week from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. You can check that out online at music.podshow.com. And this, um, this little piece is from an Aussie trio headed by Matt McHugh called The Beautiful Girls. Love this one. A little acoustic number called Lamar. This day is getting older In fading light It's beautiful This wind is blowing colder And too soon I'll feel its pull Still I took all my chances Earned myself an even scar Try to learn my lessons well I don't have the answers for those questions anymore Only love can be both heaven and hell So sturdy up, sturdy up your heart For the road is long ahead I'll be with you even though we're apart But your road is yours to tread
don't bow your head to no one And no matter what you do If you start, then see it through So sturdy up, sturdy up your heart For the road is long ahead I'll be with you even though we're apart But your road is yours to tread Join our conversation by calling plus 61 3 or by emailing podcast at monishmarketing.com. This podcast is protected under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. You are welcome to share and remix this podcast for non-commercial purposes.